Okay, I've got 629, so if we can get everybody in, we'll get started. While we're waiting, somebody dropped a Toyota key in the parking lot. If it's a Cadillac, it might be more of a run on this. Okay, can I hear a dollar, 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 dollar? <laughs> Toyota key with uh, one Toyota button, black. Nobody? I have got a car. Yeehaw. All I got to do is go out there and push the alarm, see which one it is, and go get it. So if you don't know what you don't know yet, you'll know it when you leave here. It's sitting right here, okay? It could be in the other part of the building, too. Who knows? There's 200 and something people all that away. So let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, tonight, um, Hebrews chapter 3 is uh, heavy stuff, and... I pray for wisdom and discernment to be upon all of us. I pray, Lord, you'd open our eyes to understand the Scripture. And that we would understand the value of the Scripture. And what it means to followers of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with an unusual point tonight. Um, it's been months ago, I, I came, and I didn't mention names on purpose, I didn't think it was of value, but there's a prominent Bible teacher that I, quite frankly, read his books, and I went to a conference one time he spoke at in Lexington, and uh, he, he came out, and I gave him the benefit of the doubt that maybe I just didn't understand, he said, the Old Testament is a stumbling block to people coming to Christ. So we need, to, we need to eject the Old Testament from our thinking. Okay, you know, I think, well, whatever. I disagree with you, but I don't know where you're going. And I just kind of let it go. Well, this past week, he sent something else out. And this one is five reasons why people are leaving the church. And I caught my, it was a Fox News article that that Andy Stanley, I'll say his name, Charles Stanley's son. He's a pastor of one of the largest churches in America, and he wrote, five, in his opinion, five reasons why people are leaving the church. Number one, here's what he said. The Bible is not the foundation of Christianity, but we're teaching that it is. And listen, he says, and then he qualifies it. Then he says, Jesus is the foundation of Christianity, not the Bible. Now, for the average person, you might look at that and say, well, how can you argue that Jesus is the foundation of Christianity? But the pro there's a problem. The problem is this idea that I can separate Jesus and the Bible. That I can view them as two entities, two separate, independent sources of authority. And you can't do it. It's impossible. Because I would look at Andy Stanley, not like he cares what I think, but I would look at him and say, how do, would you even know who Jesus is if it weren't for the Bible? So while you say Jesus is the, the foundation of Christianity, and he is. People, where are you going with the idea? Where are you going, Andy, when you say that people are leaving the church because we have messed things up 
by holding this at this high level. Because it is this that has revealed Jesus in the first place. Now, the reason I bring, I wouldn't even have brought that up tonight. I'm not on a soapbox. Is because when I went back through what I had previously written for tonight, it, it hit me right in the face. And here's why. You see, I'm convinced, and I touched on this last week when I started. When I study, when I write, when I teach, I've come to a simple conclusion. The Bible teaches the Bible. The Bible reveals the Bible. That's why when I do Hebrews, I end up in John, I end up in Revelation, I end up in Nahum and Habakkuk and Genesis and Exodus. And, because the, who cares what I think? That's how I look at it. Who cares what I think? But if I show you how the Bible wraps around Hebrews and validates and confirms it, then it isn't what I think anymore, is it? It's, it's what the Bible says about itself. Now, the reason that's important is because what Andy Stanley is saying, let's eject the Old Testament, what Andy Stanley is saying that we really don't need biblical authority. We just need to all say Jesus. Well, what do I do after I say Jesus? I don't know. Just keep saying Jesus till he comes for you, I guess. The word of Jesus is, is the word. And the word is Jesus. And the idea that we can separate them is false teaching. And I cannot be silent. It is false teaching. Now, with all of that, Remember, what we're about to open tonight is the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, the Israelites. And Moses was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite. But I'm going to tell you, Moses is revered by the Israelites in the time of Christ, in the time of the church. Oh, you say Moses, everybody goes, ooh. You know, whatever Moses did, and rightly so. So, Moses is going to come up prominently in Hebrews chapter 3. Now, he's going to come up, listen, he's going to come up 1,500 years after he's, after he's gone. But he's coming up as a standard, as God's messenger. And God's messenger, you better listen to him, right? Moses fulfilled the first role as priest from the tribe of Levi. Where did the priest come from? Old Testament priesthood. They had to be Levites. Where did that begin? It began with Moses. Moses fulfills the first God calling of a priest because he's from the tribe of Levi. His brother Aaron was the first appointed high priest. Brother, he's also from the tribe of Levi, right? That's how it works. The law was given from God through Moses. The law, God's word, his teaching. His instructions of what it's going to be like for God to come and live among people. Okay? If I'm going to move into your neighborhood, you're going to have to know how things are going to work. It's called the law. I'm going to move down there among you, and when I do, you're going to need the law. Because the law will let, allow us to get along. Right? So who do you give it to? He gives it to a man from the tribe of Levi, Moses. And then there's the tabernacle, the tent, the temple worship was led by whom? It was led by Aaron and the sons of Aaron. They were high priests and they were from the family of Abraham. Now, why am I doing this? 
Because what I have just laid out to you is the foundation of Judaism. The foundation of the Hebrews' worship of the Hebrew God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where, where did it begin? Well, it began with Abraham, but then they're 400 years slaves in Egypt, and now they're finding themselves out of Egypt with Moses on the mountain and the law and a tabernacle, and the foundation is laid. Here, don't miss this. God is carving out the children of God from the earth. These people are his children. They are his children. They're in the covenant. The foundation's laid. If you're not in this family, listen, if you're not in this family, you're not his child. You're an outsider. So how does the Hebrew writer compare Jesus 1,500 years after Moses to Moses? Because now we're in the New Testament. Moses has been gone a long time. Jesus has come and Jesus is gone. The Hebrew writer is going to take Jesus and Moses and compare them to each other. The Hebrew writer, if you've been here the other weeks, what's he already done? He's already compared Jesus to angels, right? He said, to which angel did God ever say, today you're my son? Didn't happen. He's higher, superior to the angels. He's already been compared to humans. It says that in the future world, humans are going to reign on, in the future world, not angels, but they'll reign under the authority of Christ. So he's comparing humans. They're under Christ. And now he's going to compare him to Moses. Hebrews 3, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters. Notice when he says brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters of whom? Well, you might say the Hebrew writer. No. How do you get to be brother and sister? Jesus becomes our brother. Our, uh, we become a sister to Christ or a brother to Christ. That's who he's writing to. These are the children of God. Right? Everybody's not a child of God. Brothers and sisters who belong to God. So how do you belong to God? You've got to be a brother or sister of Jesus. Are you with me? How do you belong to God? You've got to be a brother or sister of Jesus. If, you don't, if you're not a brother or sister of Jesus, you don't belong to God. Some people struggle with this fundamental truth. Now, brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be what? God's messenger. Now, I wrote in there, a.k.a. God's apostle, because some of the major English translations actually put in there God's apostle. And don't get tore up on that. That word apostle simply means God's messenger. So Jesus was God's messenger. Don't try to connect him to, you know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He's just God's messenger. And he's God's high priest. Did you catch it? God's messenger. Think about this man. God's messenger and God's high priest. Verse 2. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses. Here comes the comparison. Just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Now, Moses didn't get the whole house. He got part of it. Moses was God's messenger, and Moses fulfilled many of the high priest duties even before Aaron became the official high priest. God appointed Moses to this role, and God also appointed Jesus to the role. You see... 
where he's going with this, he's trying to compare Jesus to Moses. Why? So that you'll understand how God's putting this thing together. God appointed Moses to this role. No one appoints themselves as priest. They had to be appointed by God. God appointed Jesus as priest. Moses is a type. If you've been coming here very long, you've heard me say this over the years. Moses is a type, a preview, a shadow of Christ. That is why you can never cast off the Old Testament. You know why? Because you will never understand the New Testament when the entire Old Testament was written so that it might reveal the shadows of the coming reality of Christ. That's why you can't undo the Old Testament. You, you throw the Old Testament out, you're never going to understand what the New Testament means. You're never going to know what it... You'll just be totally confused. In fact, Moses is quoted in the book of Acts making this comparison and statement. So let's jump over to the book of Acts. Moses said, again, this is 1,500 years after Moses is gone. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So even Moses is comparing himself to the future coming. A prophet like me from among your own people, which means he'll be Jewish. Listen carefully to everything he tells you in the future. Why? Then Moses says, anyone who will not listen to that prophet like me from Israel, a Jewish guy in the future, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Are you hearing me? You won't be called a child of God. You'll be an outsider. You will not be in the family. You're lost. You're lost. You'll be completely cut off from God's family. Who's going to heaven? The children of God. If you're completely cut off from God's family, you're lost. You're an outsider. So how do they compare? The Hebrew writer and Acts now has brought Moses and, and Jesus and brought them side by side to make a point. How do they compare Moses and Jesus? Now, Hebrews, I said it already, the Hebrews revered Moses, right? They revered him. So he's way up here. Where's Jesus going to come? Let's go to verse 3. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Now, now, now i got to say something. If you're a Christian reading this, you'll say amen. If you're a Jew who doesn't believe Jesus is Messiah, you'll say, get me a rock. I'll throw it at that guy. What? Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. There's no comparison. What he's saying, there's no comparison between the preview and the main event. And Moses was the preview. Jesus is the main event. And here's what's crazy. <laughs> Jesus is before Moses, even though Jesus is after Moses. I said Jesus came 1,500 years after Moses, but in reality, Jesus is before Moses. Right? Right? Now, that only works if you believe that he is who he says he is. That he is the I am. If you don't believe he's the I am, then that doesn't make any sense, does it? Moses is compared to Jesus 
But Jesus is compared to whom? God. Moses delivered the message of God to those in bondage. What did, what did Moses do? What was his job? When he gets the call at the burning bush, what do you got to do? I want you to go deliver my message to Pharaoh. Right? He's a messenger. He didn't come up with the idea. He wasn't out there running sheep around the mountain and saying, you know what? We got to get these Jews out of Egypt. This is God's idea, right? He's a messenger of God. So he goes to Egypt because God's got a plan to set his people free, right? Break the bondage. What did Jesus do? Jesus has a message of God that all who live in the bondage of sin and death, he's going to break them and set them free. Which is greater? Well, see, the one that Moses did was temporary. The one that Jesus does is eternal. Moses freed Israel from Egyptian bondage. Jesus freed us from sin and death. Moses led Israel through the wilderness. Jesus leads us through the wilderness right now, today, in this room. You are in the wilderness. You're on your way to the promised land. And if you're in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that's got you this far. He's leading you through the wilderness. But Moses was only a shadow. The reality, the main event is Christ. Go to verse 5. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work, Moses' work, was a what? An illustration. What have I been saying? He's a preview. He's a shadow. Moses' work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. So what happens if you threw away all the Moses stories? Then when God reveals it later, you're not going to understand it. Why? Because the whole point of the previews was so that you were ready when the main event came. It puts the pieces together. Verse 6. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house, if. Oh, that word if changes everything. We are God's house. Jesus, Christ the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, right? Let's start there. And we are God's house if. It's a conditional statement. If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. If we keep what? You're going to hear me say this a bunch tonight. Courage and confidence. You know what we need in the church today? We need courage and confidence. We need courage and confidence. What? To stand up and not be afraid and not be ashamed. I hear the Apostle Paul saying to the Roman government that quite frankly put him in chains and eventually put him to death. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who are being saved, for the Jew first but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. I am not ashamed. We need courage and we need confidence. Moses was certainly faithful to God, but Moses was not perfect. Nope, he was not sinless. So let's compare Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. And he can lead us all the way to the promised land. He won't need a Joshua to come take us over the river because somebody didn't make it. Right? What was Moses' status? He didn't lead them across the river in the promised land, did he? Joshua had to pick it up and take them across. It's interesting that Jesus and Joshua are the same name in Hebrew. How many of you knew that? In Hebrew, 
Jesus and Joshua are the same name. In fact, if you heard a Jewish guy say Jesus, it would sound like Yeshua. And put it together a little faster, Yeshua, Yeshua, Joshua, Joshua. They start to sound alike. Isn't it interesting that when, when Moses took them so far and Joshua had to take them across, that Joshua, you think that name is just a coincidence that down the road in the future, the one that would take people into the promised land would have that same name, Jesus, Yeshua. Jesus, excuse me, Joshua is also, listen, a preview, a picture, a shadow of the coming Christ. Jesus will not fail us in this wilderness of sin. He is able to take us across the Jordan River into the promised land to take our possession of our inheritance. And I want you to, I want you to study the parallel. Here, here you go. I just find this so cool. Remember what he told Israel while they were in the wilderness? I'm going to take you and give you this promised land, and you're going to live in houses you never built. And you're going to drink water out of wells you never dug. And you're going to occupy a place that's not yours, but it's yours because I gave it to you. What is that a preview of? Anybody know when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. It's in the promised land, right? Do you think when you get to heaven, the house that's yours, you're going to build it? Huh? Some of y'all think, well, yeah, I guess I'll be on a construction crew. We'll build this place up there. He says, I'm going to go ahead of you and build a house. What was Israel's story? You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to drink water from wells you didn't dig. You're going to experience a life in a land that you did not work for. It was prepared for you in advance. That's heaven. That's what he's promised us. Before I go further into chapter 3, let me ask you a question. Here's where it gets heavy. I said tonight's heavy. Did all the Hebrews make it across the Jordan River into the promised land in the time of Moses and Joshua? No. Don't let that sink in. You've heard what they were promised. An inheritance. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to drink water and wells you never drank, that you never dug. It's going to be a place flowing with milk and honey. And I'm just going to hand it to you. All you got to have is what? Courage and confidence. Just stay with me. I'll take you there. Did all the Hebrews make it across? No. Or was there a drifting away that cost them the promised land? In that, in that wilderness, between Egypt and the Jordan River, between Egypt and the Jordan River, they, they had Moses. They had the law. They had the pillar of cloud in front of them and the pillar of fire behind them. They had the, the presence of God. So what's the problem? They didn't make it. They didn't have courage and they didn't have confidence. And let me give you the scale. This is so sobering to me. While they were in the wilderness, they've left Egypt. Moses takes a census. Look at Numbers 2531. That's why they call it Numbers. In summary, the registered troops of all Israel was 601,730. 
Now, if you read it all, that 601,730 was adult men of fighting age. You could join the army. What's the number? 601,730. And how many of those 601,730 made it across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and got a house they didn't build and got to drink water out of a well that they didn't dig? How many? Two. Two. Anybody see an issue? I do. Numbers 26, 65. For the Lord had said to them, they will all die in the wilderness. Not one of them survived, except two. Joshua, son of, uh, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. 601,728 didn't make it. Does that concern anybody in the room tonight? Nah. You know why? That's the Old Testament. We ejected that book. Hallelujah. It's got terrible statistics. Terrible odds. I'm glad that he told me to get rid of that one. That's not encouraging. 601,728 didn't make it. Two did. I'll ask you a question. Who told you that saving faith was just believing in the existence of God? Who told you that? I'm, I'm curious. Please don't answer out loud because I don't know where I'd go with that. <laughs> you might say, Andy Stanley told me that. And I am, listen, I am not here to bash Andy Stanley. You know what? He's my brother. I just think he's heading down the wrong road. Listen, th that is not my point. I just have to stand on this thing called truth. Who told you that saving faith I'm wording this very carefully. Who told you that saving faith was believing in the existence of God? That's saving faith? Because I'm going to tell you what, that's going around. Verse 6 says what above? If we keep our courage and remain faithful, remain competent in our hope, we've got to keep it. Do you think those 601,728 people didn't believe in the existence of God? Come on, come on. Really? You'd have to be blind. God was with them. There was a pillar of his presence traveling down the road with them. He shook the earth. He shook the mountain. Moses came out and he was glowing every time he was with him. Do you think that 601,728 people didn't believe God existed? Then what happened? It isn't about believing God existed, is it? That's not faith. That's not faith. So what went wrong? These are recorded words of Caleb after they finally entered the promised land. It's, he's describing previous, but it's written after they finally get in. Caleb, one of the two. One of the two. Here's what he says, Joshua 14, 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. Now, pause. He was one of the 12 spies, snuck across the River Jordan to spy out the promised land and see what's over here. These people have been raised in Egypt. They didn't know what the promised land was. They didn't have YouTube, so they didn't know what was over there. You know what they had? To, they snuck over. And, and he's one of the guys. He says, I was 40 years old when I snuck across to see what Canaan was like. 
I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, there was 12 of them, right? One from each of the tribes of Israel. 12 tribes, 12 people. Caleb was one of the 12. He said, I gave an honest report, and here's what he says. For my part, I only get one vote, right? One out of 12. I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses promised me. Moses is a preview of Jesus. I'm going to tell you. He's not Jesus. He's a preview. Moses promised this faithful Caleb what? The land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants. How long? How long? Forever. What? What? Forever. 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 Can you do that? You can if you're Moses. If you're the messenger of God, forever. Because why? Why is he going to get this eternal inheritance from this preview of Jesus? Why? Look at the next word. Because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. You're all in. You're all in. Courage and confidence belong to Caleb and Joshua. Verse 10. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised, all these 45 years since Moses made me that promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old, Caleb said. Do you think the one that followed Moses, the one that followed Moses, not Joshua. Not, I'm not referring to him. Do you think the one that followed Moses, Jesus, is able to keep his promise regarding the promised land for those who wholeheartedly follow the Lord? If you do, say amen. amen. See, I think he's going to keep his word. I think he's going to keep his word. This is what frightens me about the modern American church compared to the church I read about in the book of Acts. Because there's this idea that everybody goes to heaven. There's this idea that everybody that comes out of Egypt and hears the word of the messenger is going to the promised land. But in reality, this story says, uh-uh, that's not how this is going to work. Who told you that? Saving faith is not believing in God. That's not faith saving. Do you think those people didn't believe in God? But they didn't make it. Back to Hebrews. I'm still in chapter 3. I'm just dancing around it, okay? Verse 7. This is why this sobers me. That is why the Holy Spirit says, why is he bringing up Moses? And why is he bringing up all this old stuff? That is why. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, Oh, if Israel would have just heard his voice. You know what God told them through Moses? They're standing at the River Jordan. Canaan is on the other side. God says, it's yours. It's yours. They cannot stand against you because I will go in front of you and I will annihilate their armies. I will hand you their house. I will hand you their garden. I will hand you their vineyard. I will hand you everything. Just 
bottom. And 601,728 of them died in the wilderness. Just follow me. Today, when you hear, that is why, look at this verse. That is why the Holy Spirit, this is, the Hebrews is New Testament. This is church age. This is us. That's why when the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There, your ancestors, ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry. God says, I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. I wonder if he says this about the church today. What? Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, this is God. In my anger, I took an oath. God took an oath. They will never enter my rest. Why? Why? Because today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But they did. And they rebelled. Their hearts turned away, drifted away from God. No courage, no confidence. Why? They were scared. You know why they were scared? I hope you know the story. They're standing at the Jordan River. Caleb and Joshua come back and say, yep, it's like they said, it flows with milk and honey. They had grapes, and the grapes must look like baseballs. They were so big. They were carrying grapes and said, look at the grapes. It's wonderful. But there's giants over there. And we are like grasshoppers to those giants. But Caleb and Joshua, they say, but we can whoop them. We can, whoop them. We can take them. You know what? Because they had courage and they had confidence. Why? In themselves? No, because I think they thought they looked like grasshoppers too. But they weren't counting on themselves, were they? They were counting on the promise of God to go in front of them. God says, you cross over that, I'll go in front of you, I will fight for you. So Caleb and Joshua said, let's go. You're worried about a democracy? I think democracy is a wonderful thing, but I'm going to tell you, sometimes a democracy, a democracy is a terrible thing. Because you know what the vote was that day? Ten to two. We ain't going. Ten to two. Ten votes said, no, I am scared to death of those giants across the river. I don't care how big the grapes are. I ain't going. Be careful following the crowd. Be careful. I have no idea where I was at. <laughs> Verse 9. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So I took, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my rest. When the heart departs, obedience is not far behind. The heart departed from God. The confidence was lost. And when you lose your fear of God, listen, there's two things to be afraid of at that Jordan River moment. You know what? One, there's giants across the river. 
You know what the other thing to be afraid of? There's an angry God over here in your camp. There's two things to be afraid of. Yeah, there's giants over there. But God is not going to just stand here and do nothing while you rebel against him. And when you lose your fear of God, church, listen, when, a, when you lose your fear of God, it won't be long before you will lose your fear of sin. What is drifting, this drifting based on a false sense of security? Here's one of my main points tonight. The Holy Spirit's showing me. What was this rebellion based upon? A false sense of security that we're all going to make it to the promised land. He's bluffing. God's bluffing. You think he brought us all the way out of Egypt to just let us die out here? Come on. Nah, God wouldn't do that. Nah. Uh, he'll, he'll zap them. We'll go over later. Just wait. He'll zap them. They all died. It was a false sense of security that everybody's going to make it to the promised land. You know what's in the church right now? I'm going to tell you. And I say, I use the word church loosely. A false sense of security. Everybody goes to heaven. I know you're tired of me saying it, but I have not gone to one funeral where everybody didn't tell me they are, oh, they're in a better place. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven, right? If that's not enough warning, read the next verse. I'm going to verse 12. Be careful then, brothers and sisters. Why is he telling me to be careful? Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Now, I've got a philosophical, theological question based on that sentence. Why bring it up if it's not possible? If you can't fall away, if you can't backslide, if you can't lose that gift that you have been given, if you can't, why in the world? Is he saying, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. If I can't turn away, then why tell me to be careful not to? You must warn each other, other every day while it is still today. So that none of you, none of you, this is, this is New Testament, this is church age. You must warn each other every day. While it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, church, we don't retire. We don't quit. We don't yield. This thing's not for sale. It's not for sale. It's not for barter. It's not for negotiation. It's the word of God. If you are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when you first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. You will share in all that belongs to Christ. But what if you don't? What if you're not faithful to the end like you were in the beginning? And what if you did turn away? And what if your heart's hard right now and you don't even know your heart's hard? And you've got this false sense of security. But because I believe in God and I went to that Wednesday night root study, I'm okay. I'm not here to make anybody doubt their, the promises of God. I'm here. This is real. This is life and death. And you know and I know whether I'm all in and whether you're all in. Or whether you're playing the most dangerous game ever played on earth. 
and pretending like God doesn't know. Verse 15. Remember what it says today. When you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as Israel did when they, what? This is telling to me, when they rebelled. That's rebellion? Yes. All sin is rebellion against God. All of it. That's what sin is to God. It's rebellion. Be careful. Be faithful. Warn each other every day. Would you join that church? That's not always comfortable, is it? Be careful. Be faithful. Warn each other every day. Let me stop and ask. What are you going to do with Hebrews chapter 3? Everybody, what are you going to do with this? Go home and take Tylenol PM? And hope I don't remember it in the morning? I'm not reading Old Testament stuff here. This message is to the church. Not like Old Testament's not relevant. I'm saying there were changes in the New Testament. Yes. Yes, we're under grace. I will read from the New Testament again. 1 Corinthians 10. The Apostle Paul writes this. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors. Why do they keep bringing up them ancestors? I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. Why does, if it doesn't matter, why well, keep bringing it up? All of them were guided by a cloud, that's God, right, that moved ahead of them and all, notice all of them, 601,730, I can't believe I remember that number. All of them were guided by the cloud and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground, all of them. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them, there it is again, they were baptized as followers of Moses, all of them got the messenger and the message, right? Promised land in front of them. Yeehaw, let's go. All of them. And all of them ate the same spiritual food. And all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock, you want to blow your sock off theological comment? And that rock traveling with Moses in the wilderness was Jesus Christ. I told you, he's before Moses. He is eternal. You tell me the Old Testament doesn't have relevance? Why is Paul quoting the Old Testament to challenge the New Testament believers? Next verse, verse 5. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. Not a few, most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness these things happened, why? Why is it in the book? Why is it recorded? These things happened so that there, as warnings to us New Testament Gentiles, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality. And yet the common church today is struggling with this. You know why? You know why the church is struggling with this? Because they've already gotten rid of this. They've already gotten rid of it. 
And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. I'm not sure how many people were on the earth in the time of Noah. I've read a lot of guesses, but I don't know. I don't guess it matters. But I can tell you how many survived. Eight. Eight. God's judgment came to the earth. Eight people made it. There were only two Israelites that survived the wilderness experience in the time of Moses. Anybody think these odds are looking real hot? Is this interesting? And do you know what Jesus says about it? I, I went around the bush to get over here. You know what Jesus says about this? In the time of Noah, eight people made it. In the time of Moses, two people crossed over. What's Jesus say? Matthew 24, 37. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. How many times have you read that and thought, well, that just means that things will be, there'll be weddings and they'll be, they'll be doing normal stuff. No, no, I think it means that. I think it also means this. It'll be like it was then, only a few are ready. That's what Noah's day was. Only a few. Only a few. There's a false sense of security that believing in the existence of God is faith. It's saving faith. It is not saving faith. You know, what the, you know what the book of James says? The demons believe in God and yet they tremble. The demons believe in there's a, there's a God. You think they're saved? I've said jokingly over the years that if, if you believe in the existence of God, congratulations, you're one notch above a demon. Congratulations, you've come a long way. The demons believe in God and yet they shudder because they know what the future is. Verse 37 again, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered this, his boat. People didn't realize. People didn't realize. People didn't realize what was going to happen. If they knew what was going to happen, something else would have changed. They didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way. Jesus said, that's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. It'll be fast. It'll be sudden. There won't be any chance to say, oh, no, 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 no. Too late, too late, too late, too late, too late. You had a chance. They even asked Jesus, I'm going to tell you, I think this is one of the most marvelous questions in the Bible. They even asked Jesus about the number of people that are going to make it to the promised land. Who better to ask than Jesus, right? Who's going to make it? Luke 13, 23. Someone asked him, Lord, or will only a few be saved? And he, Jesus, replied, work hard. What? How would that fit into doctrine today? Oh, we don't work hard. Nah, nah, nah. We're great. We're grace. Right? I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by faith. Work hard to enter a narrow door. Is there an architectural problem in heaven? Who built that narrow door? Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many, I didn't say it, he did. Many will try to enter it, but they're going to fail. Why did he say many? When the master of the house has locked the door, it's going to be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, but we ate with you. 
We ate and we drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all of you who do evil. Now, I didn't list the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids, but I'm going to tell you the parallel between these two stories is phenomenal because there was, there was a, a loud shout, the bridegroom has come! Pow! That's it. And there was five standing there ready to go through the door. And the door opens and they go through. And then here comes the other five. They've been getting their oil in town. They, they, they're not ready. They're not ready. They, they, they have this false sense of security. I know about the bridegroom. Knowing about the bridegroom and knowing the bridegroom is two different things. In that story, those five who knew the bridegroom, the door opens, they walk through. The door closes and the five come back from town. Now I'm ready. No, you're not coming in. The door's shut. I got, why does he tell these stories? Why? Is it like a football coach at halftime? This is motivation. He's not really going to do it, but it's a motivational pep speech, right? Right to get you pumped up. Come on, let's go. Is that it? Is that what they thought, the 601,728 people that died in the wilderness? He's not really going to, he's not, he's not really going to keep us out of the promised land. Matthew 7, 13, here he goes again. You can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. I have thought about this for years. Why is the gate narrow? Because he knows in advance how many people are going through. He already knows. In this room tonight, he already knows. I don't know. He knows. You can enter through God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide. For many will choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is very difficult. You know why it's difficult? Because it's unnatural. It's unnatural. I've said for years, the wind blows toward hell. Just let go. Let go. Just let go. Let go. You, you let go. You're going to just float toward God? No, you're not. You're going to float away from God. Your natural, my natural tendencies are not to go toward God. My natural tendencies are to go away from God. Did any of y'all ever wake up one day and say to your wife, your husband, say, you know what, honey, I'm going to try to sin today? I am. I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sin today. You know, you don't even have to think about it, do Because it's natural. It's natural. It just happens. But you know what? If you told your husband and wife, you know, I'm going to walk with God today. It's difficult. It's unnatural. Work hard. What's he saying? Work hard to enter the narrow door. Back to Hebrews before I get excited. Are we sure about this comparison of Israel and the wilderness in the New Testament church age? Because ultimately, you're going to have to come to this question right here. Are you sure, Terry, that he's connecting that stuff in the wilderness and the promised land and 601,728? Is he really connecting that to church people? Well, let's let it answer the question. Hebrews 3.16. And who was it? Who rebelled against God? Who was it? Even though they heard his voice, 
Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? This letter is to Christians in the New Testament. Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath on that day that's, oh, that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we can see what? So, so, so what's that mean to me? So we can see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. What? They wouldn't believe God. They wouldn't believe His Word. I'm going to hold it up. I think it's this simple. They refuse to believe His Word. Let me prove it to you, church age. Last Sunday I talked specifically about this topic of repentance. Do you believe God? There's no forgiveness of sins without repentance. And yet I, I, I would guess there is unrepentant sin in this room tonight. And you say you believe God. And you're hanging out with people who are living in unrepentant sin and you pretend like everybody goes to the promised land. But you say, but you say you believe God. You're in rebellion against His holiness. Listen, you're going to sin and I'm going to sin. But when I sin, I am not going to pretend like it didn't happen. I'm going to tell him. Because he already knows. That's what repentance is. And I'm going to ask him, I'm going to beg him that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will not repeat that again. That he will give me the strength to overcome sin, not just to forgive sin. This comparison tonight is certain. I use the word, it is certain. And this comparison is sure. Israel compared to the church. Rebellion. They wouldn't listen. Church people refusing to listen. Why are people leaving the church? Really? Ultimately, ultimately, let's ask the question. Why are people today in America leaving the church? Because they won't listen. They refuse to listen. 2 Thessalonians. This is as telling as anything I've read tonight. Don't be fooled by what that's saying. And I should have put this other verse in there. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's talking about the fact that some people in Thessalonica said the day of the Lord's already come. And they're all tore up. And I missed it. The day of the Lord's already come. And then he says, don't be fooled by what they say for that day. What? The, the return of Christ. That day will not come until something happens. What's going to happen before Jesus comes? A revival? Nope, nope, nope. That day will not happen. It will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. In other words, before the return of Christ, there's going to be a rebellion and there's going to be the revelation, the revealing of the Antichrist. The one who brings what? Destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming he himself is God. Israel heard the voice of God through Moses the messenger. They knew the word of God. They heard the messenger of God. They knew the word of God. Right? Can we confirm that tonight? They heard the messenger of God, Moses. They knew the word of God through Moses. And they wouldn't listen. 
they rebelled. Church, sound familiar? You heard the word of God through the messengers of God. The Holy Spirit's made it clear. You have a copy of it in your house, but you, many people, and I'm not talking about you specifically, many people in the church refuse to listen. Israel knew the truth, and they had been warned of the consequences of rebellion, but they refused to listen. Church, sound familiar? They knew about the coming promised land. They even sent 12 guys over to take a peek, but they refused to take possession of the promises of God. They refused to take possession by faith of the promises of God. Church, sound familiar? Because here it comes. Unbelief is fatal. You die from that. Doubt is not fatal. Listen carefully. Prolonged, untreated doubt can become unbelief. That's fatal. Everybody has doubt. If you're breathing, there's going to be a time you're going to have doubts. Moses had doubt. John the Baptist had doubts. And Jesus said, of all men born of women, none is greater than John. John the Baptist had doubts when he was in jail. But you know how you treat those doubts? I'm holding it up. This is it. You bring the word of God inside and you stand on it. Hebrews 3.19. So we can see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Let's go. I want to read that from another translation just so everybody understands. The New American Standard. I always go to that for a very literal translation. So we can see they were not able to enter because why couldn't they enter? They refused to believe. Unbelief in what? Here we go. I'll turn this last corner. Unbelief in what? Rebellion against what? The what is the word. That's why I added the Andy Stanley comment in the beginning. Unbelieving what? Rebellion against what? What's the church rebelling against today? This. Let's get rid of the Old Testament. It is a stumbling block to coming to Christ. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Let's, let's quit saying the Bible is the foundation of Christianity. And let's, let's, let's say Jesus is the foundation of Christianity. And let's separate the word from Jesus. And let's don't, let's don't do the word. Let's just have Jesus. Well, well, who is Jesus without the word? I don't even know who he is if I don't have the word. I don't have a clue. Well, I, well I'll tell you, this false prophet will say. Just follow me. I'll tell you who he is. The same book of Hebrews describes the faith, saving faith. I would be really wrong. I don't really care what time it is. I would be wrong tonight to do what I've done and not tell you what saving faith is. I've got to tell you what saving faith is. It is demonstrated by a man named Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says multiple times, Abraham believed God. And he was called God's friend. Do you think it reasonable that Abraham believed God when God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, to Moriah and sacrifice him on the altar and set him on fire? And Abraham looks at God and says, I believe you, but I ain't doing it. This is saving faith. It's not rebellion. You don't have to understand it. You just got to do it. It's saving faith. It's saving faith. And I want to 
The same book of Hebrews we've been studying. We're in chapter 3. I'm going to cheat and jump to chapter 11. Because the Bible explains the Bible. In Hebrews 11, it talks about what is saving faith. Faith is confidence. What have I been talking about tonight? Faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. If you read the NIV, and I memorized it years ago in the NIV, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Sure and certain. Confidence and assurance. If we are confident of the resurrection, we would not be afraid to die, right? If we are sure and confident that Jesus is our Moses and we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death, why would we ever look back at Egypt when the promised land is right in front of us? And how can we be sure and certain, confident in our hope about anything apart from the Bible that reveals the promises of God and quite frankly is the context of everything I have said tonight? Sure and certain of what? Faith is being sure. Faith is being certain. Faith is being confident. Sure, certain, confident about what? And God's going to keep his word. And I got a copy of it. The rebellion in the time of Moses and the rebellion today is the refusal to accept the word of God. Refusing to listen to the word of God. It's not changed. So I'm going to cheat again. Hebrews 12. I'm jumping forward. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Wow, the warnings. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape, church. We will certainly not escape. If we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven, we won't make it. The Son is the Word, and the Word is the Son. Can anybody remember how the book of Hebrews opens? Hebrews 1 1. I can tell you because it's written in here. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, and now in these final days. You get one chance to listen. What? And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. And you will never hear his son if you throw away his word. Verse 26, and I'll wrap up. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. He's comparing what happened in, in the wilderness to right now. Now he makes another promise. Once again, I'm going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. It's coming. How far out? I don't know. He's going to shake the heaven. He's going to shake the earth. And this means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with fear and awe for our God is a devouring fire. 
when I, when I read that earlier before I came out, I was thinking to myself, in Revelation it talks about when the earth shakes and when the stars start falling out of the skies and the mountains start collapsing. People are unbelievers. Those who have refused their entire life to listen to God, they're going to cry out for the mountains to fall on them to hide them from the face of God. But you can't hide from it. It's tough stuff, isn't it? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that reveals your words so that we might have life. And I pray, Father, for your church that we'll not be deceived, that we'll stand upon the truth of your word and we'll have confidence and assurance in the promises because they belong to us. We have been called to be your children. We're not in the rebellion. We resist the rebellion. We believe you. So, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to empower your church to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.